where we prayed, and I'm going to read now Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 26. I'm blushing now because I picked up Leviticus chapter 20 instead. You can look at what uh, verse 18 there says. Um, Now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You've seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold, and an altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. But now then, what does that part of the Bible uh, help us to uh, learn about God as we study it this evening? Well, let me ask you the first question. How do you keep anyone safe? Mums, you want to keep your kids safe? I reckon there's one or two ways you can do it. One is you can wrap them up in uh, cotton wool, or in this case, uh, um, bubble wrap, uh, so no harm comes to them. Treat them as very fragile in that kind of way. Or you can tell them all about danger so that they are sufficiently concerned about what is dangerous in order to keep away from it. Now, every loving parent understands that we will never be barber wrapping, cotton wooling our children forever. We need to explain uh, the danger in order that there can be safety. Something like that is going on here. Now, if you've been here uh, the past few weeks, you know that uh, until verse 17, the start of our reading, we have been talking about the Ten Commandments, Ten Rules that uh, God has given. And we might at first think, oh, well, these are rules that you've got to do in order to be safe with God. And that's how lots of people think. And it's not hard to think. Because what we learnt as we went through these Ten Commandments 
is that these commandments that came in two different tablets, they are there primarily to teach us what God is like. So we constantly look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, the spotlight's on me to see how I do. But actually the Ten Commandments are there to show us what God is like. And therefore we've picked up this little phrase, we go from tablets to trinity. We understand that God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's why we call God this word trinity, but it shows us what God the Father is like. It shows us what kind of God he is. That he would want people not to murder, but to grow in love. Not to be unfaithful in their marriages, but to uh, keep their word and so on. It shows us what kind of God he is like. That's what the Ten Commandments do in the first place. It tells us also what God the Son is like, what Jesus did for us. Because we initially might look at the Ten Commandments and say, okay, don't kill, that's not a problem for me. I'm a pastor, I'm not likely to go and kill anybody. But then when Jesus comes along and he helps us to drill down just a bit deeper and he says, hold on a minute, I'll tell you what killing is all about. It starts with that anger that is inside you. And adultery, well, yes, that's not a problem. I don't think uh, anyone would uh, accuse me of that this week. But if you drill down deep enough, well, what you think in your mind is uh, going to make you guilty. And I wonder what bloke there would be who would want the thought life uh, put on a screen uh, on a Sunday evening to see what uh, was going through your mind in that area this week. And so we begin to see that actually uh, we understand that Jesus is there to show us that we are actually rubbish command keepers. Because when you drill down and you see what's behind the command, then we are all guilty. So all of us in this room are rubbish command keepers. That is why Jesus had to die on the cross. In order to pay for the way we've broken those commands. But also, he died on the cross in order to... Uh, <coughs> pause in. Hello. Hi, it's, it's the famous four. Come in, come in. Uh, grab a seat anywhere. Um, yeah, I think so. Here might be Anna. Now, let me just press pause for a minute. Where were we? The Ten Commandments, yes, are not to tell us how we uh, are uh, uh, primarily uh, about. They tell us what God is primarily about, what the Father's like, what the Son did for us commandment breakers. Um, we are rubbish at keeping commands. And so that's why he had to die. And Jesus did more than die for us as rubbish command keepers. What Jesus did was he kept all the commands himself. And then he says, okay, I'm now giving you the track record, my perfect track record I'm giving to you. So this is not a list of 10 tick boxes for you and me to complete. This shows us the ten tick boxes that Jesus completed on our behalf. The commandments show us 
the Son and what he did on the cross. And the commandment shows us the Holy Spirit and, if you like, the road that uh, we will be traveling on as Christians because the Holy Spirit has now got a grip of our lives. A lot of people think that the way to live a Christian life is to look at a rule and then go home and do the rule. That's not how it works. The way to live the Christian life is that uh, you understand the way God wants you to do, and there we are, I suppose, a bit like a limp glove. Nothing moves. However much we understand what God wants us to do, nothing moves. But then it's like God's hand, the Holy Spirit, filling the glove. And now the life of God causes us to move in the way God wants us to live. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, which is why I stuck on that piece of paper the first uh, Bible reference, which is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Because these commands in Exodus were written on tablets of stone, but the prophets in the Old Testament said there is going to be a day coming when God will write these tablets inside you. The Holy Spirit will fill you and you will start now wanting in your heart to live this way because this supernatural change has happened. So, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant, uh, covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. God will write these laws inside us. So, if you'd like to take a moment, are showing us the road down which God will fill us and take us down this new life that God alone will help us to live. So, that's what the Ten Commandments are. And it's important for us to remember they're not really spotlights on me, they are spotlights on God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Always, always, always go from tablets to Trinity. Okay? Just, just zoom there straight away. We've done that these last few weeks. Let's move on. What, what should we, what should we, what should we do? Well, what comes next? And you look at what comes next in verse 18. And what comes next is that they're absolutely petrified. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flash of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And you say, oh no, we're not back to that again, are we? I mean, they were like this in chapter 19. So why do we have to go through all that again? We've done this. We know the fear thing. We've come past that. We've done the Ten Commandments. We shouldn't be frightened anymore. No. If we want to move on and live this way, then fear is going to be what's helping us. We don't move on from fear. 
Fear is the way we move on in the Christian life. And therefore I want to put this little point in front of you, that fear is a good thing. And we've got different languages in the room, so I'm drawing pictures rather than writing words. I'm hoping the picture will tell you that uh, fear is a good thing. Savvy? What a bright lot you are. <laughs> Actually, I think I'm going to change my mind and say uh, fear is a bad thing. In this sense, that verse 20 starts by saying, do not fear. And that's entirely right. Because Moses is saying to them, look, please do not fear that God is out to get you, that he is wanting to kill you. And here are the people thinking, well, that's exactly what's going to happen to us. I'm so frightened that God is going to put an end to my life here and now. So they tell Moses in verse 19, look, you don't talk to us, don't let God talk to us, please. You talk to us. We'll listen to you. That's going to be sufficient. We don't want to listen to God because... If God speaks to us, we will die. That's verse 19, isn't it? It's what they say. But that is to understand God. The whole point of God speaking is to keep them alive. And therefore, they need to understand that that fear of God that they get is not to worry them into thinking that God is going to kill them, but to show them a right fear, which is that it's also in verse 20, and it says, here's the fear that tests to see whether you really want to follow God or not. It's not the fear that kills, it's the fear that tests. How does that work? I want to suggest it works something like this. When you test yourself against these Ten Commandments, these words that God has spoken will help us to see when we are drifting away from Him and the various uh, flashing warning lights will uh, show when we are going the wrong way. So, you might remember, if uh, you've read your history books, uh, and uh, in the old days of mining, when you went down a pit shaft, you took a canary with you on a stick. Did anyone learn that in their old geography lessons? Um, well, Reza hadn't, because he said it was a parrot. Well, it might have been a parrot. I wasn't there at the time, despite appearances. Okay? Uh, it's just a canary that they stuck, and the point of the canary was to test whether the oxygen was there, whether the air was dangerous. If you're going down a coal mine, there could be all sorts of toxic gases, and so the canary's there to test it. If the canary was living, you could walk happily in that direction. If the canary died, you'd drop the stick, you'd drop the canary, but he wouldn't mind anymore, and, and, you, and you run the other way. Okay? So, in other words, when you're approaching something like that, that is the moment 
to do the U-turn and sprint. Uh, they probably um, tried, instead of the canary, they probably went down once with a, with a lighted candle to see the way. Uh, there's probably a reason why they switched to canaries fairly quickly. Um, and uh, it's dangerous to go down where there's danger. You run the other way as fast as you can. And that is what the Ten Commandments do. When you find yourself not wanting to go in the direction of any one of these commands, be careful. It shows us the heart is uh, beginning to uh, uh, go away and uh, divide. And if you've uh, been in a marriage, uh, you know how easy it is for this to happen. Because what happens is you start off lovey-dovey and there you are, close to the beginning, and then what happens? After a while, conversation begins to be just a little bit distant. You don't quite know what to say to the other. And then what happens is that, uh, well, life kicks in, doesn't it? And work has over time and life gets very busy. And you never quite know whether it's because it's busy that you're not talking or because actually it's much easier to be busy at work than to suffer in silence at home and therefore you can use work as an excuse to avoid that uh, lack of conversation at home. And the old expressions of closeness and intimacy aren't there in the same way. And those tiny little signs that on their own don't add up to very much, but actually they're pointing to a rift in the relationship. Yes? And that's what the commands help us to do with God. As we find ourselves in one or other, or maybe more, we begin to say, no, actually that's not quite how we want to be. It's telling us, be careful. The relationship is going apart. And we need to take heed if we're in a, a marriage that there are, there are gaps appearing. Because if we sail past the warning signs, like George was saying with his red traffic light, you sail past those warning signs and you end up in bother. And we need to be careful. It just happens. It's so easy. It happens in marriage. In fact, just for today, coinciding with the sermon. Tonight, if you go into whatever program shows Pole Dark at 9 o'clock. What channel? BBC One. BBC One. Okay, you're going to see a couple. Uh, there's always going to be one sad person that's watching it. Um, and, and, and it shows you a couple who, who were very close and now they're beginning to, to separate. The little signs are there. They're not noticing it and the marriage is getting into difficulty and the third party might just be about to come in. It just becomes difficult. Relationships can end if you don't care. take care. Uh, and with God, we're being told, be careful. If you see those warning signs, don't walk past them. Note them. Admit them. But then what do you do? Well, verse 21 is what you do. Uh, they uh, turn to Moses. Well, verse 20 and 21. They turn to Moses and they wanted Moses to be what uh, we might call today a mediator. The one who brings people together. 
Now guys, you've met Moses before, haven't you? Because we've traveled with Moses all the way through the book of Exodus. And we know that Moses is this mighty figure that brought people out of slavery and he got past the greatest ruler of all time, actually, Pharaoh of Egypt. At that time, uh, just uh, the biggest obstacle you could face. And Moses has come through all of that. And he's brought his people safe out of Egypt. And the job of rescuing them from slavery in that sense is now over, finished. But now, it doesn't mean job done. He's got more work to do. From now on, Moses, in this book, is going to be going back and forth between God and his people to keep them together. He will be their mediator. You see this happening again and again and again. And in that sense, Moses is helping his people to come together and to be drawn together with God. So when they find themselves offside, Moses is the one who will be going to God and praying for God's mercy that they might be kept close to him again. And wonderfully in that way he is teaching us what Jesus is like because in that second uh, little reference I've given you on that piece of paper it tells you about Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Consequently he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for you. Suppose you could say like Moses, his first job was to rescue people out of the slavery of sin and the horrendous future that they faced. But that doesn't mean that Jesus got his job done and he's now taking a day off. Now, he ever lives as the old translations used to put it, always lives, as our translation puts it, to make intercession for you that you and God will not drift away from each other. So believe it or not, the Son of God, the ruler of this universe, every single day has you on his mind praying for your relationship and God not to drift apart. Because that's how easy it is. We just, think, we just take it for granted that we're going to be alright with God. But every single day, our commandments will tell us, if we look at our thought lives and so on, that our pressure to separate from God is there all the time. And the only way to come back to God is not by going and having another go at the commandments and trying to keep them more this time around, but to go to the mediator and say, God, your work is to bring me close to God today. You've been praying for that today. Please, would you do that? My heart is falling away. I need to come to you again. It's a wonderful thing to have the fear of God that takes us to the mediator that brings about that closeness again. The fear of God is a very good thing when we begin to see the drift is there and we become frightened of it. 
But if that's a good thing, the fear of God, let me tell you what the bad thing is, which is in the next verse, in that final section, verses 20 to 26, and that is that idols are a bad thing. Now, I've written a little G there, because the big G is the real God, and the little Gs are the little gods, and I've stuck the little G there to show us that that is where the danger is for us. But it might be a surprise for you to hear me say that, because these words are being told to people who were with God, who heard the commandments, who understood what fear was, and you might say, well, these people don't quite need the pep talk. It's everybody else. But it is these very people who understand what God is like, who now need to be told, guys, watch out that you don't go after other gods. Now, I know that uh, our heading over this section, if you've got a, a Bible uh, from church, is it says something about laws, about altars. No, this is really about uh, verse 20, not creating other gods instead of him. Abigail, you look very beautiful. You can put the mirror away. Uh, so, the whole point is that uh, uh, we are to be kept away from other gods. Now, how is it that people who have learnt all about God more than anybody else on the planet at that time, why is it that they need to be told this? Because, friends, if you have God, there is never a danger that you will entirely leave him but there is every danger that you will gather other gods in addition to him. And it is likely that we will do that because we ourselves want to give God a bit of an upgrade. You can see the G's got bigger. In other words, the big trap of people who know anything about God is that religion kicks in, takes over, and we want to do more for God than he has asked us to. I think you see a hint of that going on here. So they would, for example, say, but God is very precious, isn't he? But then we better start making gods of gold and silver. Uh, nothing but the best will do, in verse 20. You see? Let's just show uh, that God really is precious in the way that we design him and put him in front of people. You with me? So, for example, uh, what about altars? Yeah, the passage mentions altars, all right. But what we want to say? We want to say that God is far above us. Yes? We want to respect him as a God who is elevated, higher than we are. So what should we do? We'll build an altar. Why don't we build an altar with lots of steps on it? And that will help us to get it across that God is high and we are low. And God says in verse uh, 24, look, uh, an altar of earth is fine. <laughs> Be careful how you make the steps in verse 26. Because what you think is going to be a big respect for God will be a big disgrace if you expose your nakedness on it. You see, there's this, there's this sort of upgrading of what we might do for God that in the end... Um, 
reduces uh, our understanding of him. So we don't give God uh, the upgrade with gold, with steps, and with meeting him anywhere. Again, you see the logic is, God is everywhere. It doesn't really matter where you are. You can do your own thing with God. You can worship him anywhere you like. And Moses is very careful, doesn't he? When he says in verse 24, yeah, you can make your altar, but in only in those places where I cause my name to be remembered. Not everywhere. And in the end, that will be focused on only one place, which will be in Jerusalem. That's in the fullness of time. So you are not to go and say, right, okay, well, God's everywhere. I will meet God everywhere. No. There are certain places where his name is associated. You go there, you don't go anywhere else. That sounds amazingly contemporary, doesn't it? In Britain you get people saying, well, how's the perm go? I feel closer to God in my garden than anywhere else, in the, anywhere else on earth. Where God hasn't caused his name to remember, that's not where the Bible is taught. You're not going to be closer to him. You're just trying to say that you're aware of God and you're on the side of the angels because, well, you're in the garden and you're thinking about God. No, that is actually to uh, go against what he says. It's to add to what he says. And uh, that is not how we get close to God by doing that. No, if there's anything that we do, uh, it is to only respect God in one way, and that is to do exactly what he says. Don't go above or beyond in a desire to respect him more. I want to draw some of those things to a, a, a bit of a, a, sort of a, 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 a focal point and, and suggest how this might fix in us three ways. One is, maybe you're someone who's new to Christianity, and maybe not yet a Christian, and you say, well, okay, how, is, how am I going to be okay with God? I know, I'll, I'll go for the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Heard them read in Beckentry Church. So that must be the way, mustn't it? And I'm hoping what you heard Beckentry Church tell you is that is not the way to get right with God. Because frankly, it is far more appropriate for those commandments to teach you that seriously we are rubbish command keepers. That's what the commandments are there to help us to see, that we are rubbish commandment keepers. And therefore, all of us need to find a mediator. The only, the only way in which we're going to find ourselves uh, in a loving relationship with God is by going straight to the mediator, as the Hebrew says. Uh, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Go to Jesus. Talk about the rift. Ask him to heal it and fix it. That is the only way anyone is able uh, to find their uh, place with God. What happens if you've been to church quite a few times and uh, you've uh, heard lots about God? Uh, friends, can I suggest there is a big trap for church people and that is to give God an upgrade. 
to do more for him than he wants us to do. So last week we were on the estate and a most delightful guy said that he goes to church, uh, he goes to church because of the praise and the worship. I said, well, why do you think God likes that? He said, because I've grown up understanding that that's what God likes. I said, really? Well, where does it say that in the Bible, that, that the big thing when we meet together is praise and worship? He said, well, I suppose I didn't get it from the Bible. I get God from the kind of upbringing I've had in the churches I've been to. So I said, that's tradition, isn't it? That's not what God says. That's just something that's built up as people have spoken and added to what he said. And I said, be very careful, because there was a group of people in the Bible who did exactly that. People who were called Pharisees. And Pharisees were really keen on God. And they had these different traditions that they put into place to show that they were keen on God. And God actually said something really, really uh, worrying to them. In Mark chapter 7, verses 6 to 7, again, it's on that piece of paper. Jesus uh, said to them, said to the Pharisees, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Isaiah was actually speaking well before they turned up on the scene. But in other words, there always are religious people like this, even in the Old Testament and again in the time of Jesus, and still with us today, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There you are. That is, in a nutshell, the danger of the religious person. The words are there, the heart is uh, somewhere else. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So they've gone, you see, from what God has plainly said to add-ons, to the upgrades, to their traditions. And as a result, they've missed the plot. But what happens if you are a real believer, a real Christian, and uh, you want to understand what the Bible has to say to you tonight? I want to suggest to you, that the whole purpose of the command, and it's massively healthy to come to see this, is that the purpose of the command is to show us that you and me are not God's best buddies. In loads of different wrong turnings and mistakes and bad steps, we have gone away from him. And it is just a helpful thing to see that the commandments are there to give us this view of ourselves in order that as we shrink, we get a bigger view of the Lord Jesus, who as our mediator is able to bring our hearts into line with God's love for us. And so Jesus did that on the cross. By dying for us, he took the punishment the commandment breakers deserve, that rubbish command keepers deserve. But in addition to that, the Holy Spirit is there to make us like him. So my friends, please, 
please leave the danger zone if you know there's any area of your life where these commands are beginning to lose shape in the way that you live. Where please will you take notice and do absolutely everything to obey. Come out of the danger zone. Don't just simply see the warning signs and sail right past them. See the warning signs, plead for Jesus to fix your heart and leave the danger zone. Come back into a likeness to him. The commands are there to make us like Christ. The one who kept those commands in our place and for us. But we suggest that we stop there. We'll take questions in a minute, but let's have a moment first where we quietly pray, individually, and then I'll finish with the prayer, and then we'll take the questions at that point. Let's have a moment of quiet while we pray. I think our minute's up, let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you so much for your word revealing to us very helpful signs of drifting away from you. And we pray, therefore, that you would please help us to uh, be appalled when we see those signs uh, appearing in our lives and help us out of a deep concern for a relationship that is going the wrong way. Please, would you help us to be humble and to seek the one person who can bring us back to you. So, Father, please, would you help us, those of us who have heard what you said in this, in this part of the Bible, please help us to learn our own frailty and to see how we might fix what is broken. And please would you help us to live new lives for you and for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.